uh, I watched a I watched a good movie last night. Actually, it was um, I I haven't like dipped my toe into the like Italian crime movies from like the seventies and eighties. Like I like giallos don't count in my like not not giallos, but like the more like crime thrillers. You know what I mean? And I watched Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion. Holy shit. That movie is wild. You should, you should, both of you should watch it. <laughs> Investigation of, uh, what was it called? Of a Citizen Above Suspicion. It's on Tubi and on Amazon Prime right now anyway. Who knows? But it's, okay, so it is about, it's following a ch- chief of detective, like chief of detectives in the homicide um, uh, section in, uh, in, I think in Rome, somewhere in Italy. And he murders his mistress and then investigates his own crime and is leaving clues to throw off the detectives and is increasingly coming to the realization that most of the people in the police department are aware he committed the murder and they're all covering up for him. It's Ooh. it's so good. It's also explicitly like a years of lead movie. Like there's these like long monologues where he's talking about how the police's role is explicitly political to put down these leftist agitators, the communists or whatever. So he's constantly blurring the lines between like crime and uh, revolts and intentionally trying to make like this, this, um, the personality of the criminal merged with the personality of the political activist. And so like, you know, built into the kinds of people we can monitor and figure out if they're likely to commit a crimes. Like one of the things is, were they involved in the 1968 protests? And that makes somebody more likely to be a profile of a criminal, according to them. So it's like, yeah, you could tell the movie was made by a communist. (laughs) It's pretty, yeah, pretty explicit. But it's very good. It's very, very good. I am adding it to my... I might watch that uh, tonight. Yeah. I highly recommend it. But uh, yeah, uh, what's what's going on with you two? How, you, how are you guys doing? Been watching through Grey's Anatomy for like the third time. Hell yeah. So Hell yeah. That's my emotional state. <laughs> <laughs> how about you, Jackal? <laughs> uh, um, uh, job searching at the end of the year. So that's that's what that is. Always fun. I I went to. I'm now looking at applying to to a remote customer service position at at uh, at Amazon. That yeah. sucks. I hate 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 doing that. Which is like, uh, man, I I don't. <laughs> but also, it's gonna take a while for these other jobs to, to mm-hmm. for me to hear back from them. Mm-hmm. And I haven't heard back from some. So I mean, shit. I know at least they probably will at least get back to me sooner. Yeah. It's that fucking, it's a fucking like, I don't know, post, post college finding a job thing sucks so bad. Oh boy, does it. I, I fucking hate it. But at least you have a podcast to be on. So that's there's true. always the, that's the true. silver lining. That is, that is the silver lining in all of this is, uh, I, I get to be on a podcast, you know, the, <laughs> I, I am a true American boy. <laughs> Well, uh, I guess I'll I'll do our do our little narration introduction. Let's go. Uh, wait, why is it not showing all? There we go. <clears throat> In the criminal justice system, sexually based offenses happen when you have a big old pedophilia rock in your brain. In New York City, the dedicated psychiatrists who investigate these vicious disorders will absolutely shoot a kid if necessary. This is Kyle McLaughlin's story. 
<laughs> dun dun. <laughs> dun dun. Welcome, everybody, to The Good Apples, a podcast about Law & Order SVU, the real-life events that inspired the show, and the worldview of the man himself, Dick Wolf. I'm Josiah. I'm Kamara. And I'm Jackal. And uh, we, we got no Josh for at least the this episode and next episode, but we, we'll see. He our, our boy's getting married, and he's getting busy, so uh, doesn't have time for SVU. Congratulations to him. Imagine having a uh, having like a life and doing stuff outside of, of, of uh, talking about uh, Law and Order of, SVU and not talking about Law and Order SVU can't be me. <laughs> Ky- yeah, Kyle McLaughlin though shooting a kid. That's that's what we're talking about this episode. <laughs> well, we're talking about two episodes that are um, both. On the surface, they're real weird, and then when you dig deeper, it's oh wow, this is this is even weirder now that I know the weird biological <laughs> essentialist politics behind why they are making the arguments that they are. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna have we're gonna have fun talking about this episode. I I like these episodes. I think, but they are uh, they are oof. Um. Well. Okay. As television, both impeccable television. As always, yes. SBU knows how to do its shit, and it does it well. Mm-hmm. Um, on, on the other hand, I I would really love for the next hour, two hours, however long we do this episode, to interrogate exactly what they think criminality is and how it happens, uh, because there's a there's a lot in these two episodes that. Um, yeah. Are you telling well, so, me right now that there's not a crime causing rock in everyone's brain that just is as, waiting to manifest? But as Dr. Wong but says, if we could just people, cut if we right. could just cut that thing out, that that big old pedophile rock in your brain, uh we could we could fix fix it up. <laughs> yeah, if if we if we did that, that would just fix like if there's there's like there's a, a rock in, in like a carjacker's brain that makes him do carjackings. If do we just crimes. removed that rock, mm-hmm. no more carjacking. Yeah, this is the same thing with like yeah, like um somebody who doesn't make a lot of money who's stealing food to survive, of course, right? That's because of a big old uh poor person rock that was that we were exactly. born with that. Yeah. And it's just in their They head. don't have that hustle in them. That's and right. That, they were born without that the hustle, hustle. Is caused is caused by the poor person tumor. If we remove the poor person tumor in their brain, suddenly entrepreneurs everywhere. Well, yeah. They, do you know that's also the case with uh, political stuff as well? Like you're born with like you know communist gene or whatever, and we could just get that out. Then. Oh yeah, yeah. There's like <laughs> like the reason why uh, like Detective Stabler is a Catholic is because he was born with like the Catholic gene. The Catholic so he gene. He yeah. He doesn't have a choice in in you know being a Catholic detective. That was just in him via genes. It's all genes, baby. It's all everything is is down to your genetics. The Catholic gene is uh, being Italian. That's that's the genetic trait. <laughs> <laughs> gives you the catholic gene all right well today we are talking about we're talking about two episodes the original idea of lumping these two together was we were doing like non-traditional offenders that was kind of like you know the the kind of theme for both of them we're like you know um 
the first one we're going to talk about is like, you know, got, got a female pedophile. Um, and then the second one we had is a young kid killed another young kid. Um, and so, you know, it's like the, there's the, you know, the kind of non-traditional offenders kind of approach. However, what it, what it ended up being thematically was, um, like, is there a biological genetic explanation for crime? Because that's what kind of gets implied in both of these episodes. Um, of course, mm-hmm. SVU never makes a full stance oftentimes with stuff. So it, it will display the other side, you know, it kind of like has this debate, but it seems to be leaning toward. Yes. I think we'll go through the episodes and we'll decide. Yeah, do we want to dive into the first episode here? Yeah. Um, so the first episode was season five, episode 25, entitled Head. Because she got the pedophile head. Like the pedophile head rock. That's that's what it's about. <laughs> uh, let, me, let me load up my notes for this episode. Well, the episode begins um, with a lady, um, perhaps an executive assistant or some other annoying profession, um, is in the bathroom of a coffee shop, and she has a frantic phone call in which she's thrashing around and she drops her phone out of her hand and it lands in the toilet and she reaches down to get her phone out of the toilet and she sees a camera inside the toilet. Yeah. 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 This happens to the the best of us. Now this is a nightmare scenario like that. That's, that's horrifying. And they Mm -hmm. depict it well in that, if you're just like a random person and you discover just on happenstance that, oh, the public bathroom a- has a camera in it, my life is ruined now. I can't use a public bathroom again because I'm now going to go through my life terrified that there's going to be another camera. Yep. Yep. It's, um, I, this would ruin my day for sure. And so I, I want to be clear that the actual like violation of, um, privacy that took place in this is 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 awful and and i don't want to make light of that however this also ends up being one of the funniest chunks i think we've watched for SBU yeah in a while. It, it kicks off hard when right after we get the scene of this woman finding the camera in the toilet then of course the police are called and we see svu on the scene um but they zoom in uh to the captain um, and he's, you know, directing his his unit, and he's like, you know, we gotta catch this potty perv. Okay, I real quick, I have a note that I I wanted I made here, which was he 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 asks, where are we on the potty perv? Which is a, a very funny, um, very funny sentence. Then what was even funnier was Kelly, probably less than sober. I hope you're okay with me saying that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> On the couch, uh, she's she's taking notes, and I just see her pull up her phone real quick and start typing and go, potty perv, to herself as she's typing. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think made it ten times funnier to me. <laughs> pa- it's the way that he says, uh, that, that Captain Cragen says potty perv, and it, it, it's the cadence <laughs> in which he says it that 
ever since I I, I, I rewatched the episode for this uh, for this uh, for this episode, I can't get it out of my head. It's the funniest mm-hmm. thing I've heard him say in the entire show. The sentence "Where are we on the potty perv?" is going to live rent free in my head for a pretty pretty long time. I gotta say, <laughs> oh man, it's yeah, just I... such a a good name. It's you know, alliterative it too. Yeah, <laughs> just rolls off the tongue, you know. There's um, you know, kind of an interesting angle with um this episode. Like a theme in it seems to be throughout it, like the the role of technology. Um. Because, like, okay, so early on, Finn is like, I think it was Finn. I should have written down who said this, but they're like, ah, people and Toms used to have a hide in the bushes, but now, you know, they, they got these cameras and shit, right? And so, and like, after they, they kind of investigate it, they have, I, I believe it's Munch. I think it's Munch and Finn. I don't remember who, who go to the spy cam company yeah. that they uh, got this camera from. And like, yeah. one of the first little, in, like, one of the interactions that happens there is like, um, the guy there's sell you know the the guy who's like one of the employees of the spy cam company has shows him like there's this like teddy bear with a cam in it you know camera in it and um I don't know one one of the detectives I don't remember which makes a comment like oh pedophiles would like that and then they correct him and go like well no this is a nanny cam and it saved a bunch of lives and I think it's kind of interesting that it's starting off this juxtaposition of like it doesn't do a lot with it, but I would have been interested if it explored it more. Was this like, um, the, the technology advances, like always comes with both the positive and the negative side of it too. So it's like the same product, but you could use it to be a pedophile or you could use it to, you know, like be a provider or take care of your child. You know what I mean? It's like, it's interesting. Like it's commenting on that already. Like the, the nature of like to, yeah, technology to, you can um, tell that 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 this is an early two thousands uh, episode. That this is on the advent of. It's something that you kind of see with with TV shows from the early two thousands. Is that it's they're trying to deal with the fast paced advancement of these technologies that did exist beforehand, but are now in the civilian sector and are rapidly getting better and better every year and getting outpaced by it. Yeah, in general, that's kind of an ongoing trend on Law and Order is like always trying because they because of their whole rip from the headlines, commenting on current events kind of thing that it's always trying to do. They they're always racing to kind of keep up with where media is at, you know, Um, and also because of that, I think some of the most embarrassing episodes of SVU were made where they're like, you know, clearly falling for uh f- free you know like online freakouts and scares or something like that and then working it into an episode when we get into that later like oh a lot boy. of like the po- post meme culture svu kind of gets pretty weird because they they really don't understand technology but really want to <laughs> so it's uh it's finn finn and munch are at the spy camp place and they go to get info on specifically like what kind of what kind of camera because it seems to be a custom job and they get info from the pi who runs the spy cam uh the spy cam company that well, we do custom jobs but i don't do them uh charlie does them and charlie is his right hand woman who works in the back who does all the custom orders and they get the information that there have been around five custom orders done for this specific kind of camera that's 
been done for a client called Josiah. Would you like to say the name of this company? Wait, what was the name of the company? I don't remember. I didn't write it down. Shit. Hold on. Oh. Wait. I'm I'm forgetting a very funny name. I'm gathering from everyone. Gosh, it was funny. I can't remember what it was though. <laughs> wait, hold on. I'm going to uh, wait. I I refuse to just let this joke go. It was too funny. Hold on. I know exactly what you're talking about, Jack Boy. It was hilarious. It was just like one of those moments where like a teacher reads out a name on a list and it's like uh Ben Dover. <laughs> Do we have a it's just like one of those kind of jokes? It's like it's Mo from The Simpsons. Is there a Seymour yeah. Butts? Seymour. Is there a Seymour Butts here? I refuse to let this go. Hold on. I'm going to the episode. Um it was F. E. Tishman. <laughs> Fetish man. So Josiah, uh So Josiah, fetish what man. was a fetish man? Or F. E. Tishman. T and Tishman. Um I will for the rest of this episode, however, being referred to the man although he doesn't really show up much after the evidence is there, but, but we can refer to the man that. As uh, I'm referring to him as the P man, that's that's what I'm going with. Of course, um, <laughs> the man loves by James Urbiak. Uh, <laughs> but we don't get to him yet. We we first have to stop off at a porch. <laughs> right, swing, yeah. So we we got to swing by where a bunch of these cameras are being bought for is this big porn live stream that apparently is just like. A 24-7 show that people could come into at any time, and they just have shit constantly going. I think if this was a comedy, they could have done some funnier stuff with this. Because <laughs> it already has this vibe where, like, oh, no, no, you can't go in, and then you just see shit going in, and you're like, what are they using that for? That could have been... If they, like, were just a little more of a comedy, just having, like, the most insane shit, like, getting led into the big, the big sex live stream... <laughs> It's an entire brownstone as well, which means yeah. that this entire building complex is devoted to a porn shoot. That's a lot of rooms. That that's a lot of space that you have for to do that. That's that's impressive and expensive. Um, I also wanted to make a note on this episode that um, Ice T's wife, Coco is uh one of the porn stars outside of the fetish manor when they swing by there uh she makes an appearance and she is the one that ice t makes eye contact with for a second and like stares at <laughs> <laughs> so there's a fun little detail i don't know what to do with <laughs> i i didn't know that <laughs> oh man i also want to note that when stabler arrives to the to the porn shoot he's in the this entire sequence he's watching befuddled as people are coming <laughs> in and out of <laughs> it's, oh my god it is i wish that law and order would be funnier because this is genuinely <laughs> incredibly funny <laughs> Yeah, just the, the, I don't know, there's a lot of comedic potential with just like, oh no, you can't go in, and then there's like strange deliveries coming up to what you know is the big fetish mansion, and it's, I don't know, just like a, a box of like, uh, like, like, like 50 just deviled eggs getting brought in, and then like a jaguar like, on a leash. what <laughs> It doesn't help that like the 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 poor director guy looks like he's from a new metal band. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh man, it's so good. And then they end it with, "Oh, we've got a situation. We we have a Chinese spinning basket situation. We need you." It's like, what the fuck are you talking about? What? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta go. But, Sorry, I I gotta go deal with this. <laughs> we we gotta yeah, we gotta come emergency going on real quick. Gotta get out of here. But no. <laughs> They they uh so that they end up finding the the guy who they made the custom stuff for was this uh Mr. Donato, right? The uh the brother of Charlie, which is why it wasn't in the official uh records of the spy camera place. Which makes you know, makes sense why like why he was getting the spy cam technology. So yeah, they they break into the break into the apartment and you know, they run into spy employee um, and I'm like, oh shit. Um, yeah, I know you. And they just they get into this guy's stuff and just find thousands of DVDs um, <laughs> of just y- y- man. What was man? I wish I wrote down the names of the stuff of the like. Oh, oh, DVDs. I can help because they because he was like real. I think releasing. No, he says he's just using them for himself. Yet they have like professional like slips you know like they look yeah like they've a, got a DVD. they have like graphic designs on them they're uh yeah. they're called uh urine luck parts <laughs> uh, uh <laughs> there's at least three there are three dvd cases called urine luck um along with oh, god man. knows how many of like the like individual dvd discs that have been put in I don't know the name because uh, I they're not relevant anymore. But like the uh, the plastic DVD cases, yeah, yeah. there's like hundreds of them, <laughs> along it's, with it's God knows so how many more. Like like uh, oh god, there's one that's called like bathroom secrets. It's it's <laughs> it's insane. Like it is an insane amount of DVDs that he has stashed away in a He's got- tiny part of the apartment. So much, so much pee content going on here. A lot of pee. Um, <laughs> and well, so, yeah, he... No, oh, God. Wong does say early in the investigation, um, the the FBI psychiatrist they have there on consult, um, he says that they're dealing with someone who has an obsession with um, human waste. And he believes that the suspect was likely abused as a child. And the way that they respond to the abuse is that they perceive the outside world as being completely hostile. So they turn Mm -hmm. inwards and they become obsessed with um, their own bodily functions. Ah, yeah. Um, So I just Um, thought that was interesting. Yeah. I don't know I, the it, psychology to say that that's yeah, like super correct, but it, it sounds uh, it, it sounds reasonable. I buy it. I buy it. I mean, I don't know. It's it is always tricky to um, I think like exactly explain any paraphilias like that, fetishes, whatever. I, I think they're they are tricky to explain, but. I mean, they do then confirm, they confirm that, oh yeah, they did have, uh, they had a rough childhood and, and the, the pee Mm -hmm. man, uh, got it the worst. So that's why he's really obsessed with pee. It's why he's obsessed with pee. It happens to all of us. Played brilliantly by, uh, James Urbaniak. Uh, (laughs) uh, 
best known for um uh best known for playing uh recently uh Kurt uh Godel in Oppenheimer. <laughs> Yeah, similar roles, you know. I I don't know. Oh yeah, I'm sure that he was also a P man too. <laughs> no, okay. Oh, well, I, 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 no, go ahead. I uh, I brought up what Doctor Wong had said um, because when they go to search his home and arrest this guy, um, his sister Charlie is there, and she's like, "Oh, he, you know, we didn't have the easiest of childhoods." And, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he's troubled. And, um, so that kind of confirmed what Wong had said earlier about abuse in childhood having to do with the criminality. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Wong brings it up when they're trying to create like a profile of who would be this, who would be the kind of person who would do this. Uh, and then while, because they 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 go to uh to this apartment and then they find out that that apartment is owned by Charlie and Charlie is trying to I don't know if Charlie understands like the the full extent of what her brother has done but she's trying to you know give her, like a reasoning behind like he's troubled that she's always had to look out 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 for him because of their childhood. Uh, side note, uh, Charlie, played by uh, Amy Sedaris, Sedaris, I don't know if I'm mispronouncing that, who you might know as the voice of Princess Carolyn in BoJack Horseman. Uh, what the I, fuck? I don't, what? what? <laughs> that, You're that making really that up. Funny. That's not true. No, I'm not. He pointed that out when we were watching the episode. Well, I, I mixed... <laughs> I mixed her up with Holly Hunter initially. Um, I thought it was Holly Hunter, and I'm like, wait, no, that's not right. And that's what. And then I was like, well, whose voice is? I, I'm like, kind of blurring together, and it's like, oh, right, it's um, it's the BoJack lady. What the fuck? How is that? What? <laughs> this is SVU man. There's so many of these like weird, <laughs> like appearances of actors. Um, what? <laughs> okay, fuck it. Yeah. All right. I, I don't know what to do with that information. <laughs> that's uh, that's what this podcast is all about. Is is we give you guys, you fellow lovely listeners, information, and then you we, you decide what to do with that. <laughs> we've what we've you gifted will, you like this. how Princess Caroline is the the sister of the P man. So they um, they arrest him because of course they do. <laughs> His him yep. arguing with the cops is really funny because he really does like <laughs> has rationalized this so much in a way like I didn't expect because I kind of felt like it would be like a thing he's doing in his own shame and own guilt or whatever. And once he's caught, he'd just be like completely humiliated. And he's like a little com- humiliated, but he's not like, oh, I know it's wrong or whatever. He's like, I'm not hurting anybody. <laughs> he's like, I'm the only one seeing him. So... They're for my own private collection. Like what? I was. I could have sworn that I remembered this episode. Now it it had been years since I I had seen this one, but I for sure remembered him being more like ashamed and kind of like. Apparently not. Sorry, I didn't. No, he's he's kind of owning the fact that he's a weird pee guy. And also, I think part of the reason is. Is this is where this gets into the current events related stuff with SVU? Is that I think he thinks he's legally fine, which is 
ridiculous to us right now to even imagine that. But the laws that exist about like taking pictures of people and distributing them like that, like they, that's not an old thing. And and this this brings up specifically they bring up Stephanie's law, um was was you know which was in New York it was uh, basically long story short it was a bunch it's a it's a shorthand to refer to a bunch of laws that passed in New York that made voyeurism a felony, yeah. um and that was recent at the time this episode was coming out so that's part of what it's doing is addressing this new thing that that's like this is no longer but apparently it was pretty legal like you it'd be frowned upon. But you you wouldn't get you would not get arrested for it because the and this is still the case with a bunch of stuff is that the laws are slow on the on the uptick when it comes to technology. They take a very like it if you remember correctly, there was a huge uh thing of a bunch of states having to try to create laws for for revenge porn. Revenge porn, that yeah. I remember that. That wasn't something that before pre internet could really be distributed the way that that it 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 had been or created mm-hmm. the way that it had been so infamously uh you know laws take a very long time to update with technology so there was a period of time in the early 2000s that stuff like this was he would be socially ostracized but i kind of don't think this kind of guy cares about social ostracization apparently not i mean he's he hides and he he uh, watches people pee. Uh, you know what else he he watches and doesn't uh, do anything about? Uh-huh. Um, uh, I, I you know I don't know a tactful way to say this. Sexual uh, assault, a sex crime. Yeah, a sex sex crime. Uh, he just he, he just had crimes. that on on tape and never told anybody. Yeah, so he he gets out of his um he, he he's like which is it, a it, felony. That's a felony. Yeah, once he realizes that he has a felony charge because of Stephanie's law, he is like suddenly panicking because he thought he was fine and now he's not fine legally. So what does he do? He's like, well, let's strike a deal. I have evidence of a crime on tape and I could give you that and then, you know, I'll get a reduced sentence or something. And and Stabler and uh, uh, Benson Stabler are like, OK, yeah, sure. Uh, sure. You, you've got. You've got something we want, sure. And then it turns out that yeah, it's pretty bad. It's actually a really upsetting little chunk of video, honestly. Um, the the video depicts um, a a and you know I, there is a general trigger warning to this show, obviously, but I always still feel the need to like say it when I'm about to say something particularly upsetting. But yes, we're it, not going a, to describe a video in of detail, a, but no, no, I would because that because it is pretty. Yeah, yeah, but uh, yes, a, a young a young boy getting molested in a in a bathroom stall um, was caught on video. So <clears throat> now suddenly they they do he you know they he has something that they will want to investigate. So they they are going to work with him. However, Stabler does get his little uh, moment where he beats the shit out of the P man. Um, for not intervening because he knows that he's filming it like while there or close by. So that he, he, he knew that this, that this was a, a, uh, a very serious crime that he had evidence of and that he just did not go to the police about and that he had just been holding it. 
Now I don't for, I don't want to uh I don't I don't want to fully agree with him. However, his his there's some truth to what he says in his own defense, which is what I'm going to show up to the cops and be like, "So I was filming someone peeing and then I happened to catch this crime." <laughs> You know, <laughs> there's part of me that's like, you know, even if you're like the weird P-voyeur voyeur who puts cameras in public restrooms. You should. So you should you do can, that. Probably. There is something yeah. there. Like, if you see something like that, you there should be some human part of you that's like, okay, I know I gotta, I, I, I get, I'm gonna catch some heat for being the weird P guy. However, this seems a little bit bigger than that. And kind of bad, so maybe I should do something about this. The police um, take custody of this video, and uh, they hand it over to Teru, and they're like, you know, do your magic. Give, give us what you can off this video. And they're not able to um, get a face view of the attacker, um, but they do get... Uh, a view of the um, the victim, the boy. So they're able to run his face through um, facial recognition software, which doesn't really explain why this boy's face is in this database, but um, <laughs> there's a match to a 12-year-old boy, um, Shane. This was a like an a interesting one of those uh, interesting throwaway chunks. That's a reference to a real story again, too. Um, so uh, it was the the Carly Brucia case was the name of it. Um, let me load it up real quick, so I'm not talking too much out of my ass. Okay, so the Charlie Brucia case. So um, the, a long story short, with that was a a young girl um, was was kidnapped and um, sexually abused and then murdered. Um, and to solve the crime, they only had security camera footage, um, located at a car wash nearby where, where she was, you know, taken by the guy and it became a huge public case that was like nationally followed. And so because of that, um, and you know, this, this is like right around the time this episode came out, actually, like a law was passed in regard to this case in 2004. Um, so this was all pretty fresh. Um, but they, they, because it was such a national investigation, the FBI and NASA got involved and NASA used its facial recognition technology. So, um, they throw that, they just mention that just kind of weirdly being like, oh, Hey, this is how that case and whatever got solved, um, was using NASA technology. And now we're going to use some NASA technology, which kind of leaves out how that happened, which was, it was a national story that was big enough that NASA decided to intervene Rather than, it's not like just every cop has NASA tech at this time anyway. Now they might. I don't know. But anyway. Part of it, it's something that is interesting going forward for uh, a lot of the, you know, from the headline episodes is that I wondered that if you had watched this episode at the time with that news story more relevant in your, the background of your head that might not have been necessary to to elaborate as like why there's the nasa tech you just know that oh yeah there's like because of this case i heard um, that story yeah yeah that big public yeah, story that, that nasa got me. it's kind of like a like almost it's a shorthand that the audience kind of knows about like the rough parameters of this so you don't have to explain why you're doing this this way you know i think that's also what's interesting about 
Law and Order, again, kind of a thing we come back to a lot, is I think even though it is fictional and it want and it is expressly fictional, it says that in a little title card, even, um, it also like assumes the audience is consuming a lot of crime news. You know what I mean? Like it, it kind of runs off that assumption. And then those references kind of get lost on the audiences as time goes on. But like when the episodes air, they were being aired with the assumption that everyone who's watching this is also like following crime news and what would late, you know, now probably be called true crime. I don't know if that term was really getting used around this time or not, but you know, like whether people were into that, that kind of assumes that you're into that. Now, um, one th- the one of the other things they find through that kind of investigation of that there, though, is that they were able to figure out through the fingernails and stuff that that the uh, it looks like the offender here was was female, which is uh, you know like we mentioned, this was why I initially picked out this episode was um, you know looking at how it handled that question. Yeah, so they began to investigate um, this boy's life and uh the women in his life and at first they actually suspect his mother because she has a reputation for um being drunk all the time being out of control um going after younger and younger guys all the time um things like that so there was like a incident that happened on the day of the assault where the mom had caused a scene at a soccer game. Um, so they thought, you know, perhaps she was abusing her son. Um, but she gets um, gets alibied. So they then turn their attention to um, the his school principal, um, who they see her kind of talking to him on a soccer field. And they're like, why is she here? She said she didn't really know anything about him. And so um, they start investigating the principal and they find out that she has a stepson who uh, also plays soccer. So that's why the principal was there at the field. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. There's also a little piece that like all these like soccer moms wear these t sh- these sweatshirts that say soccer mom. And the principal is the only one who like insists on dressing orderly still out there. She doesn't like the soccer mom sweatshirts, which basically means it's it's her. It's the, the principal Meredith is her name. Meredith Rice. Um, it, it's totally her because like, w- well, at least it's starting to point to her because she's like the only woman there. That's that adult woman there that was not wearing the sweatshirt and was wearing an outfit that I think Matt ends up getting matched to do the one in the video. <clears throat> well no it was in the video it was someone in the sweatshirt oh, wait, because really? they were like they were like oh shit how are we going to narrow this down everyone's wearing this fucking sweatshirt but when they went to the field she was the only one not wearing the sweatshirt and they were like hey why aren't you wearing you know the sweatshirt mm-hmm. everyone else is wearing and she's like oh i'm not a sweatshirt kind of woman and her stepson is like what are you talking about you wear that sweatshirt every time that's right yeah 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 okay and she suddenly isn't wearing it anymore so yeah as if like she yeah yeah distancing herself from the evidence um and yeah so the the stepson really likes meredith he's he's cool with her um and 
they 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 investigate more into the uh, the school and find that Meredith is frequently taking uh, the victim. They identify his his name Shane. He's t- she's taking Shane out of class frequently all the time. Um, Meredith's uh, husband and uh, tells tells her husband that um, Meredith has been likely assaulting a young boy, and uh, husband breaks down and says that she has just become insatiable in the bedroom like it's impossible to satisfy her sexually at all she's just like go 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 um and then abruptly uh shane goes missing and meredith's car is driving out and so they put out an amber alert yep they run away together and the they're found pretty quickly um they get tracked down um not far out of town um and then they arrest meredith for kidnapping and you know the whole time shane's like no no i i was going with her willingly we're in love and you know it's like this sick like sad moment um Mm -hmm. that this this kid's life is like ruined yeah now like this is Mm -hmm. prop this is years of therapy to 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 reassess the mind from being fucked well, uh, uh, yeah. the way that, mm-hmm. that it has, it, that that she's Shane's life is is going to be. We're going to get how it's got. It gets more uh, ruined later, but just off of this, he's an abuse victim that has uh, been groomed to love his abuser. That's mm-hmm. not something that, and, that especially like that, that that's going to take years to to decouple and then deal with. On top of that being his his first sexual experience is you know yep. like what Wong mentions like that's you know gonna fuck him pretty bad. Yeah, these are foundational aspects of 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 the psyche, and when they are violated this way, it it messes with 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 the mind and. We can see that with Shane, where he's like he's begging them not to take her away. Yeah, but he is also saying she's sick, and so like when they're pulling Meredith out and arresting her, she's complaining about having a really bad headache and she's getting all nauseous and dizzy and stuff. But they uh, they you know take her to the station, think she's pretending or whatever. Um, and during questioning, she forces herself on to Stabler and. Um, you know, try tries to have sex with him. She she sexually assaults him. Yeah, and he shoves her off, and she flies back and hits her head against the wall, and she begins seizing. And he's like, "Uh, fuck!" So they rush her away to the hospital, where they discover that she has a fucking baseball-sized tumor in her brain, and it's in the part of the brain that I, I think it's the prefrontal cortex that that controls impulse control, but it, it does not. Uh, it's not the part of the brain that that holds moral knowledge. So she has no impulse control there, but she also knows it's wrong, and that explains like the weird cognitive dissonance and stuff. So they removed it. She's supposedly cured. Um, so she's not a pedophile. They got the big pedophile rock out of her brain. The big, the pedophile baseball. Yeah, and they like, they run some tests and it's legit. Like she's not a pedophile anymore. Um, but then they kind of ask the question, 
Um, well, what if the tumor comes back? Will she be a pedophile again? Mm-hmm. And so there's, you know, the, they're kind of weighing that risk of whether or not they think that she can do potential future harm. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it, they also mentioned that, that Meredith is, is a victim from when she was a kid as well. And so that also psychologically supposedly like prime somebody for being more likely to be an abuser later. So, um, so that, that's like Wong's position is he's like, she is still kind of primed for it still. And so that might, it, the problem might not go away. Yeah. Um, but Kate, so Casey Novak goes ahead and decides that they'll make the deal like not to, I think not, I think they're dropping the charges with Meredith as long as she registers as a sex offender. And the defense attorney is about to take it a trial over that. But then Meredith steps in and says, no, that's, that is the right call because I, I don't know if the tumor is going to come back and I don't want to hurt any kids. So, um, so she gets, she gets let off basically, um, with, with a couple of stipulations of her deal. Um, but unfortunately the squad gets a call again um shortly after that um she has broken the the restraining order against the the boy Shane <laughs> and so they arrive at her apartment and they expect to find Shane there um but they actually find Shane's mother the one that was a drunk and was like really rowdy and she was there trying to beat up uh the principal rice um and her reasoning was she was like oh she called my son at our house and i picked up the phone line and i listened in on the call and she said she's pregnant by him jesus christ Uh, so it's 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 like a holy crap moment and the episode ends. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's the end. Yeah. Yep. The the end is, it's, is. She's like, he had a right to know. They're taking her away. And she's like, I always wanted a baby of my own. It's like, what in the fuck? Yeah. It, it ends on this, uh, and, you know, and this kind of fits the whole, the general SVU thing, the law and order thing, the Dick Wolf thing that it's like, you know, again, this isn't even though we get into these really personal issues, the ep- the end, the episode also ends when the legal stuff ends, you know, it's not actually about the emotional things. So, well, as she's dragged away, who knows how that emotional situation will end, but, um, you know, another day in the job, this is, is what the, you know, another day yeah. as an SVU detective is, you know? Yeah. Like this entire circumstance could be, uh, dragged out into, it feels like this is something we we will go on to say about multiple episodes that I know that I've said about. We, we've already said ones, it a few times. On we've the said show, it yeah. that you could drag one of these episodes out into a full season of what the fuck is this? This will take multiple like a case like this would uh, be a fucking media circus, including the fact that you have the district attorney's office just deciding not to prosecute what is pretty blatantly sexual assault because of a tumor and that would be a massive controversy that would be a perfect hotspot for drama but the episode is specifically 
about the case and the surrounding of it. And for the detectives, it ended the moment that, uh, that she was escorted out and at least assumedly they never had contact that was relevant to, uh, the SVU, uh, team again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How is Shade going to deal with that? He is, uh, technically a, a, a father at the age of, uh, how, how old? I think it was like 13, 14, 12. Jesus. Yeah. I think he's 12. (sighs) Fucking hell. You know, Oh Christ. Yeah. This is, um, based off of an actual case. Um, however, this brain tumor thing, um, that being said, the case, the, the guy, st- the, so it was the difference, you know, differences. It was, it was a male teacher. Um, I believe it was a teacher. Yeah, um, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, school teacher. And um, he had an, an egg size tumor in the right lobe of his orbifrontal cortex. So kind of in the frontal area, like I mentioned with the impulse control and stuff. But um, you know, this, this all happened. It, it happened differently. Um, and so there's a little bit of just some stuff that's, that this episode tries to kind of nicely clean up a little bit. Um, one is that, of course, he did get a guilty verdict, um, despite the the brain tumor supposedly causing it, as he claimed. And then the other thing is that he also had been caught visiting child pornography sites. Um, so b- before he eventually you know, uh, attempted to, uh, go after some children. So like, it's, I don't know, a little diff, like, seems like there's a little more to that one. Um, cause a part of me doesn't, I don't, I go, I go back and forth this because if, if, it, if genuinely the science is here that like this happened, that somebody's like something in someone's brain, like a literal obstruction in their brain caused this to happen, then yeah, of course, I don't think that person is fully morally culpable, but I also think like, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I buy this as an ex, you know, ex- explanation. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm being the science here. The science. I don't think that's controversial to say that the science here is um, pretty fucking faulty. But in, in general, I also just don't buy, uh, or no, in general though, I, I think this, this episode comes into some interesting questions about like the biological, explanation for somebody you know for for criminality and then like in pedophilia specifically in this episode like wong makes this comment about how if you know it would be great if we could just find the part of the brain that makes you a pedophile and then remove it and we could just do that and that to me is some troubling understanding of psychology built into that i i don't know well, it's tied into this idea that there is a a physical, biological, and if you read like early criminology, this was something that was was thought that there were debates, but one school of early criminology was that there was like a physical aspect of criminality that you could track as to why, uh, you know these people became criminals and did the things that they did. That was actually the origin of, of like mugshots was trying to create like a classification system of certain physical characteristics and matching them to see, okay, if someone has these characteristics, it would match into uh, being a criminal. And there are, uh, I forget the gene, but there is a, a scientific debate over, is there a gene? Is there a criminal gene that makes you, 
more prone to uh, anti-social activity. Mm-hmm. There, there sure is. Um, there, there is a lot of, um, and, and this is no. this is where it gets tricky because these they, are are, yeah. are tied into phrenology. <laughs> yeah, because okay, if you have a, a, <laughs> a you, you you know like no sociological understanding, no understanding of the police or legal institutions as having, uh, I don't know, a racism problem. And then you're like, look at all these mugshots. Like most of them are black and not like interrogating the systemic reasons. That would be the case. Now you have like a, a theory that is claiming a genetic racial basis for criminality, despite it being like bias data all the way down. You, You see what I'm saying? Like, yeah. There's a lot of stuff here <laughs> that I don't like. It's this is something that's that is considered kind of bunk to the point where even like the Department of Justice has had to say, yeah, there isn't like a genetic basis of criminality. That's not how that because even like conservative conservative criminologists, most of them, this is bunk data. If you analyze the data like that, the data will become useless. Yeah, that being said, though, um, there there is a problem of this remaining still a little bit in uh, in in a lot of modern psychology, and I think it especially comes out in uh, the way that a lot of uh, criminologists and stuff deal with uh, a certain disorder called psych- psychopathy, being a psychopath. Um, yes, this this which was is a, uh, a something you you want to get into. The, yeah. uh, the the meaning behind it. Which is also, this is me transitioning us into episode two. I think we start kind of this basis here of this question kind of coming out of this. Well, real quick, is there anything else we wanted to say about this episode? I mean, it'll we'll still return to it, I think, and talk about it some more, but Well, but but no, that's that that's it for for uh for what for happened. Me. I got nothing else to say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um the next episode we watched is Season six, episode six, conscience. Uh, this one starts out with um, a a kid named Henry goes missing at a birthday party, and uh, uh, he he happens to have been right out of camera range when he got snatched. So whoever snatched him seems to have been aware of where the security cameras were. Um, it's it's like really perfect, you know, little. Uh, just right at the right time he got snatched, um, you know, between cameras. Uh, and so they, they're going off trying to find this, this kid. They, they raid a home that, you know, with a kid that looks identical to Henry, but isn't Henry. Um, and you know, they're already, they're bungling this pretty early on. Right. Um, they have no idea. Like they're just going around trying to find Henry and then they get a little breakthrough in the case because a witness steps forward. Um, the neighbor's kid, uh, Jake, Jake claims that he saw a man in a car watching Henry. And so he's able to give them the description of this man in this car. And they're able to identify this man um, as um, a guy who has a similar record, who is a pedophile um, yeah. that's living in the area. 
Um, so they, you know, they go track this guy down, um, and, um, they're, they're questioning him and they're, they're trying to figure out, um, where Henry is. And they're like, you know, tell us where Henry is. Um, and then it cuts to them finding, um, they have like a, a dog out on Henry's scent and the dog catches up, catches a scent and is able to chase down, um, the scent to an alley and they find Henry, uh, dead in an alley. Mm-hmm. Uh, one other detail that like kind of gets introduced early on here is this, this group, um, that I did not catch the full name of, but they were like the protection of children group. Oh yeah. Kind of like a vigilante group that's operating in the city. Now, if I were a better podcast host, I would have I would have researched this a little more before this episode. That I, I don't know if this is based off of a thing that was like happening a lot well, in two thousand. This was a a as a as as a someone who was a child in the early two thousands in New York. I, I can I give a little bit of of mm-hmm. what, what kind of the I guess like the climate. Yes, yeah, they were they were around because you also have to remember that there were a lot of when we get to those episodes, I can I'll, I'll talk more about them. But there were a lot of like high profile missing persons cases that had occurred in the 90s from the 80s, 90s and the early 2000s in New York that kind of became like touchstones that that were a part of that overall trend of oh, the world is scary. The we This is not like the childhood that we had when we were kids. We need to. We we need to 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 watch carefully. This the world is getting more dangerous. That that that, that kind of, of of fear and sentiment that was um, that Gen X um, and earlier parents had had come to 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 hold. Um, one example of that is like the uh, uh, it's it's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? That was something yeah. that started in <clears throat> like I remember every every night hearing that on on TV. That was that was constant. It's ten. It's ten p.m. Do you know where your children are? Um, that was something that I remember kind of started in Atlanta because of the the Atlanta child killings that happened there, and so there was this this overall trend of you need to to you can't just send your kids to go out to do stuff. There, there's there's like a the, the world is getting more dangerous than than what you mm-hmm. you had thought. So. That was something that was there in the early 2000s was these these groups of people who were pseudo I don't I can't remember if there was any that got to the extent that are in this episode, but there there yeah. were groups like this that did exist. Yes. Yeah, because in this episode, they're kind of depicted like a vigilante group or a big activist anti pedophile activist group or something like that, that um, I, I I'm interested by because what if this episode came out now? I would assume they're talking about QAnon or something like that. Yeah. Maybe not, or save the children um, is the kind of vibe it gives off. Um, And so they end up causing a bit of a, a problem with this here um, because <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so um, they do identify the body. Brad identifies the body. It's, it is Henry. Um and then Jake, the kid, identifies Billy, the sex offender, in a lineup. Uh, that Billy's that, yeah, the sex offender that they caught. He, he identifies him in a li- lineup. Um, 
and so the re- and so Billy does have an alibi for why it couldn't have been him, but he didn't admit it initially because he violated his parole as a sex offender, which is that he babysat the neighbor's kid, didn't do anything, but did babysit that night. Um, also, the neighbor so that's why did he not know uh, that he was a, he was uh, a sex, sex offender. offender. Yeah, so that's uh, g- oh man, <laughs> not great. Um, and yeah, uh, on top of that, when they, they do an autopsy on, on Henry, they find that he had had pebbles and cat hair shoved into his mouth, um, and it died from suffocation. So, um, yeah, it's pretty, pretty upsetting stuff outside after they figure out, you know, that Billy didn't do it. The child protection group is starting a fucking riot. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because I don't uh, remember they, this ever happening. Uh, I I think that this is an invention of uh, of the Law and Order writers' room. Again, though, it's interesting invention though because I because this is like now now I would yeah, imagine it, this happening. It's now. a different climate now because I would think, oh, this is either this is either a QAnon group or a Save the Children's group or some other aspect like the culture war shit. That's what you would just assume. Mm. But here it feels like a precursor to it that wasn't intended to really comment on the precursors of it, if that makes sense. Right. It didn't seem to be commenting on anything, but it, it, it ends up being political. So yeah, they're inciting a riot out back and they're like, they're holding up signs with the pictures of Billy Turner. And they're like, they're letting a sicko off free. They're letting him go. Um, and, uh, <laughs> they, you know, and you know, Stabler is like yelling out of like you're you're you are going after the wrong sicko. Um, anyway, uh, and then they find fingerprints. At the, continuing with the autopsy, they 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 look at the pebbles and they find fingerprints on the pebbles. They are kid fingerprints, but they do not belong to Henry. They belong to supposedly our star little witness, good little kid, Jake. Yep. So all the evidence pointing to Jake. Them realizing that the person he claimed did it had an alibi, um, they they go straight to Jake and they're like, you know, we know what's up, and immediately Jake confesses. He mm-hmm. um, is crying and said he didn't mean to do it; that he was just afraid to get in trouble. He claims that Henry saw Jake accidentally kill the neighbor's cat and didn't want to get in trouble for that. So he just killed Henry. Oh, wh- one other thing. Um, when he when he's first getting questioned before he admits he did it, he he goes over the stuff again, and it it uh turns out that um where he got the idea of which which of the people in the lineup did it was because the fucking child protection activist guy had shown him pictures <laughs> and lied to him and said he was a detective. <laughs> Of uh, of the Just, sex offender, so <laughs> I I I I don't know what you have to have in your brain to decide. Yeah, I'm gonna impersonate a police officer while I'm, I I am actively <laughs> know by the police department, and they don't like me. Yeah, I'm gonna do those two things. But um, no. So he, so Jake does admit it that he did it, and um, you know that he did it because he didn't want to get in trouble. But why that becomes sympathetic, even though it's still you know like. 
like for a while it seems like it's sympathetic is because he Jake had been sent as a troubled youth to a quote tough love camp and um was burned everywhere all over his arms and shit and supposedly uh sexually abused by the other kids there um you know, and so he was so scared of getting abused again and going back to that that he killed he killed Henry. Um, now, I, I don't think we've fully said this yet, but Brett, um, the father of Henry in this, the grieving father, is played by Kyle MacLachlan. And that would be why, if you look above this, this episode is entitled Kyle MacLachlan Shoots a Kid. Because um, <laughs> Kyle MacLachlan's going to shoot a kid. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, he instantly feels really bad um, for Jake because he was the psychiatrist who referred his parents to that camp. And so he, he had Jake sent to that camp, essentially. And so he's like, oh, I'm responsible for the abuse that happened to him there. And if he would, hadn't have been abused, he wouldn't have killed my son. And so he he's feeling responsible in all of this. Yeah, and, and throughout all of this, he's maintaining this really stoic, um, you know, obviously grieving parent, but holding it all in kind of demeanor for the whole time. Very mm-hmm. um, analytical. And so he doesn't hold Jake responsible, even though Jake did it in a, in a you know, a degree of like, you know, restraint that i couldn't imagine even myself having you know like yeah he's he's able to rationalize it most people would want to maybe believe that you're you would be rational enough to not but most people would would not be as zen as kyle mclaughlin is in the beginning you would blame yeah. this kid. You would like that because that's your 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 son was murdered. That is a a a natural response to that is to be angry at the person who did it, regardless of in this case that well at least what they think is that well it seems that that if he wasn't sent to this school, well if he wasn't sent to this camp, this wouldn't have happened. And at that moment, you're like it. Law and Order is not great at establishing like the timeline of how long trials take, but in the no. immediate at, uh, aftermath of your son being murdered, no, you're you're not going to to uh, uh, react like that. But he is trying to, you know, also be a good a good uh, psychologist and know that this is there are more complicated like emotions and feelings that this would have you know that this emerged from that's what he's trying to be yeah everything seems to line up pretty clearly as an explanation until uh well until they go and talk to people at the actual camp yep and they discover that jake was the bully and total little monster and he was the one burning himself and burning other people and hurting other people and hurting himself and he lied about enduring any abuse there. And in fact, the burn marks on his arm was a thing he would do to freak people out was cause he would burn himself and not feel anything. You know, this is like another one of those, like he, you know, um, 
I, I do not like where this episode, like where we're going with this episode and like what it's communicating. However, just like on a, again, storytelling level, like real, real Mike, Michael Myers, like energy. I don't know. Like, um, this child is a, is a horror movie villain. We have, they, we have, <laughs> he's, we're watching the origin of a, of a horror movie villain in this episode. That's, that is what the drop is. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's definitely got that feel and that's I mean that's why this episode is so good as like a, you know, thing of television. Um which yeah, I want to give a shout out to Jordan Garrett is the kid who plays the kid in this. Um oh, a he's bummer great. that I yeah, bummer that I see he didn't start he kind of stopped acting after 2012 cuz he's really good. You know, uh, real good for a like child that, actor here. He plays the 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 drop, the moment that when like he plays a good psychopath, yeah. like the moment there. that like everyone is on that this was a that he was faking it. It doesn't feel like a disingenuous drop. Like it feels natural to the. Like, he did a really good job in this episode in keeping all of this makes sense with the character that he's playing. Oh yeah, because like all of his, you know. Being a, a cutesy, innocent little kid for like the first half of the episode sounds like he's kind of faking it, but not really. You know, it kind of like it's kind of like, oh, this is a it feels like a kid acting. And then you see like when he starts to, to hide his little smirks that come out occasionally and stuff like that. You're like, oh, man, this kid knows how to act. He knows how to act like he's acting is like the thing. Yeah, that's 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 <laughs> impressive. That's hard to do this. Yeah, very good at it. Um, and actually there's like a lot of scenes when I think back on it of him realizing he's a psychopath that like, it's, it's, it's interesting that they're bu- they're building up to it. It's there. So like when um, Kyle McLaughlin asks what his son's final words were, Jake says, as if he's like regretfully like, Oh my God. So horrifying. He says, I want my mommy was what was her fi- his final words. I don't know if that's, that was actually his final words in the name of it. That's just the most cruel possible thing you say you could say to a grieving father. Like every aspect of that sentence is like an insane and cruel thing. His final words were wanting his parents, but not even you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it's just got this like uniquely ugh, ickiness. Everything to it that, that like, he says from the moment that like he starts the, the lie of, who murdered Henry? Then they find out that he did. Like everything here is like constructed. This entire thing was his construction of leading. He's the kid's a fucking criminal mastermind. I don't, I don't know how he built this fucking narrative of leading you down this way to be cruel for no other reason. And th- that's what they find is that there there wasn't like a motivation behind him killing Henry. He just did it because he, he felt like it. All of this was because he kind of just wanted to poke and prod and hurt because why not? Yeah, because he is. And here's our key word for the, the episode is a sociopath. Although I, I, it does use psychopath and sociopath a little interchangeably, which is, which is uh, not uh, even how they are defined. Well, kind of, the thing is the definition between the two is is really blurred because it's a bullshit diagnosis i'm just going to put my cards on the table i think that the concept of a sociopath is a bullshit diagnosis i'm in that camp and that's this is not me being anti-science there's like a there is a strong contingent of psychiatrists who agree with me uh this is you know i was poking around at some of the academic resources on this uh before we started um yeah, there, there's, there's, 
so the thing is, so the, the guy who's considered it like kind of the, uh, the guy who like where most, most like kind of people who talk about psychopaths refer to his, um, scholarship is a guy named Robert, Robert D Hare. Um, and he defines the differences between the two, um, in like, some really funky ways, um, where he admits that the term doesn't like the differences don't even really matter. It's more that if somebody believes that this disorder is caused by like nurture or social, soci social forces, then they're more likely to say sociopathy, sociopathy, whatever. If you are more likely to believe that it has genetic or innate traits to it, then you are likely to say psychopath. And then Hare tries to distinguish it as like a sociopath is like a lighter form of it. And then psychopath is when there's something innate like it's a personality trait you are born with. You are incapable of feeling empathy. You are naturally interested in, you know, doing violent behavior against people, etc. Now, like, you know, I think you mentioned this off mic, but like psychopath, that phrase, like that's not even a diagnosis that gets let out, like given out too often. Because now we talk about like antisocial behavior, just antisocial behavior antisocial disorder and stuff like that. Disorder is, is yeah. now considered the and that's why like like I think that the academic opinion is swinging in it the other way in that these are terms that are not very useful in in diagnosing people. Mm-hmm. They have entered. Obviously, like we use sociopath and psychopath as, as like linguistic shorthand for a kind of behavior and a kind of person. But in terms of psychological classification and diagnosing, that's not useful. Yeah, and so like what's what's captured in this episode really well is. Part of one of the problems with the diagnosis of this is that a psychopath is supposedly so good and so detached from their emotions that they're also really good at performing emotions, right? That, like, they're they're both not feeling any, like, empathy or whatever, but then they're also able to seem super empathetic and super, like, the kid, right? Except for now think of this on the other side of trying to make up this classification rather than just assuming it exists. That's That's a nonsense way to diagnose someone because you have well so you can tell they're a psychopath if either they are too empathetic and then you feel like they're faking it or they have no empathy but that if they have no empathy then they kind of are a psychopath or that they're maybe not a full psychopath because they can't cover it up well it's it's got a contradictory stuff built into the diagnosis is what a lot of like sociologists have been pointing out to i'm specifically referring to um uh the sociologist roland paulson who's been uh, a pretty pretty open critic of this uh this diagnosis and so like what i what i would say is that psychopath i'm i'm you know kind of i'm pulling from paulson's position here is that psychopath is kind of like got the scientific stuff attached to it but it's it's same with like a word like terrorism or whatever where it's more about a concept that serves like a social function, which is that someone can be innately criminal. That's what the function of the psychopath is. And like how we think about this stuff is like that there, there are people who are innately innately this way because every time they can explain what's causing someone to act antisocially, 
they lump it into anti-person, anti-social personality disorder or a different one. But, you know, uh, Robert Hare is really insistent that there's still this like there is still this core group of psychopaths, quote around that, and that all those other ones don't count. But like more and more of <laughs> the things that were called psychopaths are getting identified and put into other categories. And yet there's just this insistence that this category still exists when it just seems like it's less and less a reality. I'm, I'm very skeptical of, of it because I think going uh, somebody is acting in a criminal manner with no social or political explanation. It is an individual thing they're born with. I, I just see too much of a political reasoning behind having that mentality, you know? Well, it then often shows that they're uh, like, if, if you look at like, uh, um, because I think that people think, well, what if, what about, uh, you know, like examples of true crime of of serial killers? Well, if you look at like they did have social factors that had contributions to why their behavior was the way that it was. Oftentimes, it was not necessarily an ideal household that they were growing up in. There were out there were factors that that like the idea that 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 there is a genetic that there's genetic psychopathy or genetic sociopathy, in my opinion, is kind of bunk. There are things that mm-hmm. have to contribute to the brain to let that. Now, are there people who have less empathy than others? Yes, we we vote for them. Uh, but <laughs> they, but to, I, I, it feels, I, I agree with Josiah that there is something that is kind of not great about how this is, uh, kind of classified i think there there is a a movement away from from that this broad categorization i'm looking at it as to um you know what are the the social and environmental factors that lead to these kinds of behaviors and i think that antisocial personality disorder is a much better phrase um than than uh, psychopathy Mm -hmm. but for the instance of of this 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 episode they they don't even uh, bother with uh, with any kind of nuance. That just is no. what it is. They there's no yeah. A, Wong a, is a like this guy's a sociopath. It. Yeah, Wong's yeah. Just like this guy's a sociopath, and that's a totally not at all complicated diagnosis that doesn't have at all criticism within the scientific community about it at all. Not only he should, I, I believe they say in the episode, but Wong should not be calling a child a sociopath. That is, there's a a term that they use before. I think you can. Yeah. They can only use the term antisocial personality disorder after uh, the age of of either like eighteen or twenty. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for for those that are like for for children and teenagers, they're gun shy about it because your brain is not finished cooking. Yes, you you yes. can't say when you when you say that someone is a sociopath. There's a finality to that that you can't really say about a brain that is not finished. Uh, wiring yet but mm-hmm. that is the case here because i mean all right let's be real this 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 child is not a a this child a is real. michael myers uh this is right a, this is not this a real slasher villain in uh in progress um i really quickly wanted to read a quote about this and then we can move on to what happens in the episode versus this uh, but my psychology thing so this comes from another uh critic another uh, psychiatrist uh dorothy Ottenau lewis Um, writing in a a paper about this 
The concept and subsequent reification of the diagnosis psychopathy has, to this author's mind, hampered the understanding of criminality and violence. In many cases, one need not even meet the patient, just rummaging through his records to determine what items seems to fit. Nonsense. To this writer's mind, psychopathy and its symptoms are lazy diagnoses. Over the years, the author's team has seen scores of offenders who, prior to evaluation by the authors, were dismissed as psychopaths or the like. Detailed comprehensive psychiatric, neurological, and neuropsychological evaluations, however, have uncovered a multitude of signs, symptoms, and behaviors indicative of disorders such as bipolar mood disorder, schizophrenia spectrum disorders, complaint complex partial seizures, dissociative identity disorder, parasomnia, and of course, brain damage and dysfunction. So like, you know, there, there is this rise right now of, of like, there's been more like cross examining these, these papers and seeing like these have like circular definitions. And oftentimes the person wasn't even analyzed. They just like looked at their record and was like, Oh, they did a bunch of fucked up stuff. Must've been a psychopath. Throw it in the psychopath pile. <laughs> like that's the function this label serves so that's all i want to remind everybody about as we continue with this however in the case of this television uh this kid this kid's a monster this this kid's fucking michael myers so you know yeah this i i cannot emphasize to you for the context of this episode and everything that that uh that josiah just read that we just talked about um i'll throw that out uh that is not the case with this child. Um, uh, he is a a uh, he is Damien from the Omen. <laughs> yeah, Just assume will. for the sake of this episode, he is the devil incarnate. Yes. <laughs> oh man! And I hate how we don't get any closure about this cat. But yeah, uh, what ha- what's, what happened to this damn cat? I'm sure so, he did wait, not kill that cat on accident. I don't remember. Just, did he kill the... Is the cat dead? Or did he just he make must, that up? No, the cat is probably dead. He probably just killed the cat and then, like, shoved a bunch of cat hair in the in Henry's mouth. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Like, because it was they don't say hair, that. They, they never don't say found, that. They never found the cat, right? I don't not think that so. They, not that they said. But, no. you know, one of the signs of, of the psychopath, which is a real diagnosis, is, of course, torturing animals. So, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, kid's kids a creep. Um, Kid is a creep. Um, however... But the dad, Kyle McLaughlin, doesn't know that yet. And he, so he pushes it into family court. Yeah, he goes to the judge and he begs the judge. He's like... You know, it's my fault this situation happened. I referred Jake to this camp where he was abused and bullied. And then he came home and he took it out on my son and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So he convinces the judge to move the case to family court. And she does. And then the SVU detectives are running in and they're like, oh, wait, no, stop. Stop, he's got a bad brain. <laughs> yeah, he's... You can't he's try crazy. him as a child. He has a bad brain. You can't, no, move... If you if you remove that tuft of hair, you will see the sign of the beast emblazoned on his forehead. <laughs> we have to stop him now. He's got the rock in his brain that makes him a psychopath. <laughs> 
So they, they come into this family court and they say, you know, Jake, he lied, he wasn't abused, he burned himself, and um, he's actually a psychopath. And then it pans over to Kyle McLaughlin and he's like, oh my god. You know. You're and, right. You know. Everything's clicking together, psychiatrist. Yeah, I think if even in that moment, he like looks over at Jake, and Jake is just grinning like a little fucking monster at yeah. him. Yeah. So then he kind of freaks out, and he's like, "Oh my god!" And so Kyle McLaughlin takes a step out of the courtroom because he's he's gonna go nuts. So he he steps out of the room, and um, Detective Stabler goes with him. And they're, they're out there and they're talking about it. And, you know, Kyle McLaughlin is telling him, oh, he he's going to kill again. This this can't stand, you know, he's going to. And he's going to get out when he's 18 and then he's just yep. going to kill someone again. Yeah. Yeah. There's someone no needs to stop this. Him. Yeah. Um, and so then Jake steps out of the courtroom. Um, he has been you know, sentenced or whatever. And so he's being brought out of the courtroom and Kyle McLaughlin, uh, abruptly, uh, you know, jumps a court officer, grabs his gun and then shoots the kid right in the chest. Yep. 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 So this is Kyle McLaughlin shot a kid. Welcome to the, the name of the episode. Here it is. Uh, <laughs> this ep- this moment has lived r- in infamy in my brain since I saw it as a child. It is genuinely a whiplash of emotion and music. Like, everything around- it's just like, what the fuck am I watching? This isn't happening at a Law & Order show. Yeah, it, it, it is unexpected. Yeah, Stabler, you know, the notorious taking shit into his own hands guy uh even he is like his mouth is just wide open he's like what did you do he's like oh my god you shot him i think there's some where everyone i don't even think they tackle him in there's like a, a pause of like what the fuck just happened yep so they of course um arrest him and he is claiming he blacked out. He had an, um, an extreme emotional disturbance. And he doesn't remember trying to grab the gun or wanting to kill him. He just remembers standing there and the boy being dead. And so he's like, you know, it was so my grief took over. I was grieving as a father and I freaked out. And, you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing. And they point out, you know, he's a psychiatrist, so he knows how to fake um, having an extreme emotional disturbance or blacking out or something like that. Um, So the detectives do not believe him, but this is the story he's telling in court. Mm -hmm. And And, and so this is switched to like now they're, they're trying Brett here for murder. Yep. And he ends up actually um, being acquitted. Um, they buy his story that he was just a grieving father. Yeah. Um, this is also the, uh, well, um, actually you should finish what you said. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. 
Oh, um, yeah, just he was he was acquitted. Um, they bought his story that he was a grieving father who had an extreme emotional disturbance. He didn't know what he was doing. He didn't intend to murder the boy, um, and so on. So he was found not guilty. Um, yeah, and he tells the detectives um, afterwards. He's like, you know the that I actually I did intentionally kill him. I I decided to kill him from the moment you told me he was a psychopath. Um, I knew he would kill again and that he couldn't be cured. And so I made the decision to kill him. Um, but it's okay because I will never kill again. Mm-hmm. But he would have. <clears throat> yeah. So there's kind of like a bunch of interesting stuff going on here because like one thing they bring up as evidence in the court that K- Casey Novak brings up is that, um, you know, Brett had been had written an academic article as a psychiatrist arguing that you can diagnose a sociopath under the age of 18 and that you should institutionalize them for life and keep them away from people because they are uh, unfixable. <clears throat> Um, and so like, and he, he says like, oh no, no, no. I follow the, you know, the, the DSM for consensus at this point or DSM, whatever it is, you know, like, you know, I, I, I follow the consensus for the science. And then like, once he's out, like once he's acquitted, yeah, he's, he's telling them. And so they're, they're pointing out that like, well, you're being a psychopath kind of too here, right? Like you're doing what you were saying is the personality trait that is irredeemable. And him saying, oh, I'm just never going to kill again. Yeah. Yeah. Is that, oh, well, the difference between me and him is that he would have just kept killing. I, I'm, I'm stopping here. Mm-hmm. Which is yeah, interesting moral argument. <laughs> well, I think it doesn't answer the question very well. Because, like, what his argument was about the kids, though, is that if you're capable of doing that, you just, they, that, if somebody is doing that at all then their personality trait is inherently like they're inherently dangerous to society. And so like, you need to have them locked away. It feels like if he has that opinion, he probably would be ostracized by the rest of the academic community because that's an insane opinion to hold. Mm -hmm. And I, yeah, I don't don't know. I I don't know. It it feels like that, that you would usually treat him like as a quack versus he's a very respected, uh, psychologist mm-hmm. that just so happens to hold this view and the but no i hold to the it, it feels like like he would be a quack who thinks that uh that no uh, it doesn't matter if the braid is done cooking or not we gotta we gotta lock him away now yeah th- this is uh this is where i like that michael myers uh comparison keeps coming in my head too because this is kind of the whole halloween thing with um uh, who's the who's the psychologist in that? I'm not blanking on his name. Thank you. Yeah, like you know, this is kind of the same stuff he's saying in that movie, right? Is like, oh, I worked with him, and I I realize he's incapable of change. There's like this kind of I don't know. It, it it's in I don't know. I I don't know what to do with it. I I think I think this is built off a lot of really bad stuff. <laughs> this episode now as again as a piece of television impeccable amazing awesome but uh builds off a lot of really bad um views about i think like criminality and psychology i don't know yeah to say that there is just like 
a subset of people that are just completely incurable and that they're destined to just do violence upon people around them and that they either need to be locked up for life or killed. It's just like crazy. Yeah, I, I just don't, I don't buy, I, I, and I don't know. I, I think, I think I, I just buy too much into like the social constructedness of a lot of this stuff to be able to like fully hold the position that there's anything like incurably violent in them. And, and, and I think that this is built into like a lot of, like, I think a lot of prejudices, like racial prejudices and stuff that supposedly have been excised from science science modern science i think it's channeled into things like this though like we're still kind of talking about this like i don't know like genetic criminality um and and like the thing is what gets concerning about this is like yeah i mean if 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 brett you know if kyle mclaughlin's characters like conception of like how sociopaths actually work then yes he did the right thing these i don't think he's right but you know what I'm saying? Like, if literally it is impossible, this person will just be out there murdering people and there's nothing. But it takes it for granted that that's like a concept that makes any sense. You right. know what I mean? I, I mean, this is something that I, I've seen be brought up about um, uh, about prison reform and uh, prison mm-hmm. reform and prison as abolitionists. Well, what do we do about about like the the real psychopaths that will just kill people no matter what? That that's just like in, they're just born bad, and they take it's taken as a prerequisite that that is just a, a constant for humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, I'm I I I'm gonna say that are there people who are just born without that just lack empathy? Yeah, there are. Mm-hmm. That's I that's not a it exists like the the broad archetype of like socio sociopathy of not uh you know holding and not being able to empathize with other human beings and not being able to like that the social cues are just not there that's that's true that exists um the reasoning why does that exist well that that gets into well perhaps there was a a reason in humanity's history why like personality traits like that would 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 crop up but i i that is taken and then used as well that's why we have a carceral system that's why the system has to be the way that it is because it is protecting society from you know the those that are just born this way and and i think there's a lot of um stuff built into i don't know and I don't have a good answer for this because I, I don't necessarily think that this kind of science existing is a bad thing. Like, I don't think psychology existing is a bad thing, obviously. But like, I you know, by creating these like profiles of like what a criminal looks like without like the sociology getting applied to it, you know what I mean? Just doing the like science, like oh look, these traits we can uh, do a correlation between these traits and criminality or violence or whatever. I, I think like doesn't get to the heart of the matter. And maybe that's just because I'm just really committed to things being pretty socially constructed on one level or another. But like, I don't think that gets to the heart of the matter. And I think what you end up doing is what, um, you know, that, that movie I mentioned, uh, you know, at the top of the episode, the investigation of a citizen above suspicion, you know, that's that movie captures really well is like, he starts applying political stuff to his profiles of like, what makes a criminal a criminal is uh you know being involved in protest movements that that makes somebody primed to be a a violent sociopath 
I mean, you also you know I mean? find that that in uh, in like crime fiction during the sixties and seventies too is the association of oh this this person was a uh, was a uh, active in students for 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 peace or you know like the, mm-hmm. during the Vietnam War there was also that correlation that was put that that criminality was associated with with anti uh, with the counterculture and then you had cases such as like the Manson murders that brought the the end of the hippie movement and further cemented the the idea that like the the correlation of of the of counterculture with criminal with like criminality became entwined it was only until uh in like the popular perception that when you had someone like ted bundy who was Mm -hmm. you know a a a uh, a respectable college republican and then finding out that oh he's a fucking evil piece of shit that's when the <laughs> real you had this this epiphany in the broader cultural zeitgeist that oh it's more complicated than that but even then it feels like we we've brought that it is more complicated but we don't get how complicated it is yeah and i i mean I, I'll go a step and say like this, this kind of like Kyle McLaughlin's position in this that does reflect, I think, I don't want to say a chunk of the scientific community because I, I don't think I would like to believe that's not the case. But at, at least in popular imagination, the idea that like the psychopath exists and if they do exist, they they need to be uh just i mean killed or locked away or something protected away from society they're they're a danger to society um i'll i will make the statement that that's that's an inherently fascist idea and one of the reasons i'm going to add that as like like my defense for that is as as many people probably listening to this know during the holocaust um you know mental disorders was one of the the things that they they killed people for was was mental disabilities and you know what one of the diagnoses was on the list of people who got killed and interned during the holocaust it it was psychopath if you got diagnosed as a psychopath so there is a there's a history here you know what i mean with like this this you know you know what i'm saying i i don't know i i think there's something but it's taken for granted. Like, I think one of the more common versions of this lately I've run into, even though it's not psychopath, but it is more and more prominence of talking about narcissistic disorder or narcissist. I don't know the exact title for that, but narcissism, right. Um, as a, as a, a neural, you know, uh, a neurosis there, there is like this, this uptick of talking about it on like, uh, mental health TikTok, you know, that kind of stuff. You'll, you'll see like it kind of make appearance of like, how do I identify a narcissist? What are narcissists like, etc. Um, and, you know, oftentimes with the assumption that this is the type of person you never want in your life because they don't, they, they are not capable of change in any way. You know what I mean? This, this personality type is an unfixable thing. Now I understand there's a degree to which it's like you, you should distance yourself from somebody who's treating you poorly or whatever. That's not what I'm saying, but more that there's just kind of an unquestioned category of like an irredeemable neurological problem that like a, a good chunk of the population will just willingly accept, I think is, is kind of scary. I, you know I, what I'm saying? Like it's. I I I think that I agree, and I think that people are broadly want a boogeyman. They want a a they want to be able to couch their fears in in something that is tangible and real. 
so that there is, it's not just, you know, like fear. It's not just fear of mm-hmm. nothing. It's not just fear that is, is brought up out of, out of societal pressures that, that make you feel this way. They want to be able to look at, like, at, at something and have, have a, 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 a realistic basis that their fears are couched in and that it isn't unreasonable. And taking, I mean, you've, we've seen this before is people taking, uh, psych, like either, liberal left-wing or or more sort of like sociological and psychological language and using it as a justification and couching um things in them so that it sounds more reasonable that's like a big thing Mm -hmm. that you see with with people Uh, the it's not as serious but the the one that i'm kind of thinking about is the like the jonah hell uh hell the jonah hill uh dms that came out where he was using like like therapy lingo as to why uh he wanted to to oh, yeah. not have his, his girlfriend wear a swimsuit <laughs> like yeah. uh, people do that all the yeah, time yeah, like yeah, there yeah. are uh, people who do that all the time i i kind of this is a weird i kind of think that that's a sim- like people want to to use these this language in order to justify that fear and that fear is exploited in fascism as the fear of that other the fear of the unknown and then giving that unknown a a face now from that say that face is the the other is the other in society and people are afraid Mm -hmm. of the idea that there are you know uh, uh, there's a a segment of the population that could just kill you for no reason yeah that's that's a good that was good book that's that's a a scary thought and we have had a, a a culture that has sort of cemented that that is a that that is a a a, a reality and so people have that uh that mm-hmm. people have that fear and in an example of law and order that fear is um couched in language like that i don't know if any any of what i said kind of follows but i hope that it does no i i i think i think that all all follows i i was gonna i mean i think part of the the rise of a lot of this like therapy language starting to be used in ways that i i don't think a therapist or a psychoanalyst would want them to be used because this isn't because because you know those professions understand the like fluidity of human experience and like what what the forces social forces can impact you in some way or whatever right uh like those who are well like genuinely in that profession genuinely are usually aware of that kind of research that exists and so when the language though trickles out of those settings with the training and just gets kind of infused into broader culture what it ends up being is like by explaining you being a dick to me in psychological terms like i'm naturalizing it does that make sense like i'm making it like a thing that's about nature it's a scientific truth that you're a dick to me you know what i'm saying like i i don't know there's there's some weird consequences to that line of thinking. I also I do want to emphasize that there is a reality of anti-personality disorder traits like that that this is a yeah, real yeah, yeah, yeah. thing um absolutely i'm not saying it doesn't i i might be getting like a little too postmodernist for jackal in this episode i think i think because (laughs) i because i i 
I don't disagree. I just want to push back a little bit in that there, there is these categories exist for a reason. It's not just that they're being weaponized by political discourses or whatever. Right. There is like like there <laughs> there is there are traits such as, you know, a lack of empathy uh toward toward people. There is like there is lack of empathy, uh limited uh ability to uh like uh, limited like impulse control like not feeling remorse like that that stuff is there like that all of those those traits that are associated with antisocial uh behavior antisocial personality disorder like I, I i just i want to emphasize i agree with josiah partially but i do want to say they are they do exist the way that they can be categorized are <clears throat> the way that they can be categorized is and how that will then be used in popular consciousness and then how Mm -hmm. that can be then weaponized by political actors is the issue but that that's that's what i'm saying yeah no i i totally yeah well i guess what i'm trying to say is more that um i think that there there is some there is genuine science here there is genuine whatever and then there is ways in which the science is interpreted by popular culture to justify political stuff and that's that's what i'm mostly focusing on although i think then the social stuff is sometimes impacting the science and i think that's that's where i'm getting with the postmodern stuff um although i i think that you know if the scientific method is followed as well as it should be then eventually that stuff gets rooted out now you know uh, you know that that that'll come with time, and it has come with time because a lot of the papers I'm talking about are from like 2010. Things have changed in the last decade, so I don't want to, don't want to, you know, act like I don't that, care that's about why the science. I, that's why I, I, it is the, probably by the time that there's a new DSM, you probably will either it will the definitions of of psychopathy and sociopathy are they're already being reduced in in academic discussions from psychologists and psychiatrists you're probably going to see that when the next dsm comes around i'm willing to bet that it will be reduced further or even just completely reclassified as something different yeah i i mean i i hope that's the case because as it currently from what i understand the fbi still uses profiles of psychopaths in like their work and i i i don't know that, that that's 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 what i'm i'm critical of here uh but yeah, hopefully the science will get better. But yes, it, it trickles down into the broader conversations. And I think one thing that is dangerous is this this just, yeah, the assumption that somebody is naturally inherently violent in a way that like others aren't. I, I Yeah, I don't know. Um, just is, is always worthy of, of some interrogation, I think, because that, that has a lot of political use um, built into it. I'm trying to remember if there's anything else I wanted to say. Oh, uh, I will also say real quick that the um, this this second episode we talked about here is based off of a real case yet again. Um, however, the case has been altered significantly, obviously. Um, so it is it is based off of a a kid named uh, Eric Smith uh, killed. Um, a, a four-year-old child when he was 13. Um, and so the, and then there was a similar thing where there was um, an attempt by the defense to use 
um, a well, actually, this is a difference too. The defense tried to use the psychiatry um, at, in defense of him and diagnosing him with inter- intermittent explosive disorder, which is very different. Actually, interestingly enough, I think that would be like more in line with what um, Brett uses in his defense. You know what I mean? Is is disorder closer to like what he he's kind of you know this like extreme emotional distress? I black out and I act out, right? But uh, so I I don't know that that's it's kind of interesting though because this this was yeah similar case that had psychiatric uh, justification for it. However, it was used by the defense as in this it, it takes the again the concept of a sociopath as just a given diagnosis and. That if somebody is diagnosed with it, then that assumes they'll get a harsher penalty. You know what I mean? Like it's kind of interesting. I don't know. Uh, I think that that's all I got for this episode. You guys, you guys have anything else? Uh, no, not for me. No, I don't. All right. Well, I think uh, I think that's about it for us today. So um, sign off. Um, how do we sign off? Well, no, yeah. I've been Josiah. You can follow me at Josiah W. Sutton on Twitter.com, and you can listen to uh, all sorts of other podcasts I do. You can check out Fruitless, especially. That's what I've been doing a lot of. Um, and I've been joined by my lovely co-hosts, who include Chimera. Hi, I'm Chimera. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Caliteris444. <laughs> Uh, and, and I've been sh- jackal. jackal. You can find me uh, nowhere right now. Um, uh, don't follow me anywhere. I've I've stepped away from from Twitter because it hurts my brain. Uh, but I have also done a podcast episode with Fruitless with Josiah talking about J horror. Yes. Uh, yeah. I'll put that in the show notes. You should check that. I mean, well, at this point, that'll be old. But you should go back if you don't listen to Fruitless. You should go back and listen to it. You should listen awesome. to it. It was uh, we had a fun discussion about uh, about uh, two movies of very quality, but still fun. Hell yeah, yeah. And I think that's it. So as always, we sign off with uh, the the infamous words of Dick Wolf himself. Done, 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 done. I like. I'm gonna start saying that. We're gonna start acting like that's a Dick Wolf quote. I think yeah, he just said decided that. that's a bit. Yeah. <laughs> In the words of Dick Wolf himself, dun 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 dun. Uh, man, I'm sleeping.